This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Prodigy Episode 14, called Crossroads, an action-packed, fun and frosty episode. But first we're going to do the news... And we're going to start with the big news that Star Trek Mission Seattle, which was supposed to take place in May of next year, has officially been canceled after, I would say, a lot of speculation that that's what was going to happen from fans. Yeah, they they had gone quiet. They announced the event in April. I was there at Mission Chicago when they said, oh, next year we're going to be at Memorial Day weekend in Seattle because the idea of the mission conventions is new city every year. Read Pop is the new licensee, official licensee. Chicago this year was the first convention. And it was fine. I thought, you know, the, the, uh, it was maybe a little underattended, especially on the weekday, but it wasn't like bad um, or anything like that. But they issued a kind of, it's one of those super carefully worded statements, you know, <laughs> that you could tell like 20 people looked at. Yes. Which is the following. After careful consideration, unfortunately, the the decision has been made to not move forward with the Star Trek Mission Seattle event in 2023. So notably, they don't use the words canceled, nor do they use the word rescheduled. But it says we're working on new ways to bring our favorite Star Trek fans the optimum experience. And we look forward to celebrating together in the future. And they still have the license. Yeah, I confirmed that because I'm like, you know, is this is it one and done? But I was told they still have the license, but they aren't announcing a show for 2024 or where that would be. Now, I mean, they haven't started selling tickets, so there's no like situation with refunds and stuff like that. They hadn't even announced any guests. They hadn't, in fact, said a word since April. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, I've been getting DMs from different people who think I might know what's going on, and I know other people from Trek Movie have also been getting some. So everybody's been trying to figure out what's going on, because, no, you know, we're also a little spoiled by Creation, who's sending out updates pretty much the day after the last year's ends. I mean, Reed Pomp doesn't generally roll that way anyway. Like, the, you know, for Star Wars Celebration, they, they tend to announce the celebrities just a few months ahead of time. So it's not unusual for this far out, but it, you know we're getting to the point where people need to make plans. You know, I was looking into travel to Seattle and rooms in downtown Seattle are not cheap. Yeah, I'm glad they did it now as opposed to waiting because people could be making non-refundable reservations and that would be bad. Agreed. It's weird though, because the official European convention, Massive Events, they also announced they're not going to be doing anymore. So Destination Star Trek London this year is going to be their last event. So as of now, the the only official Star Trek event for 2023 is Star Trek The Cruise, which leaves from L.A. in February. Are you going to go? You've been talking about considering it. I don't know. If if I could get a free ticket. Right. It does leave from my hometown, so it would be easy to get there. You know, there's still... As you mentioned, the 57-year mission in Las Vegas in August, and in Europe, there's FedCon in Bonn, Germany in May, both of which are unofficial, but plenty of Star Trek stars show up for both of those events. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to our next item on the agenda, which is <laughs> <laughs> which is the latest non-news but speculation on the future of the next Star Trek movie, this time from Zachary Quinto. 
he's saying he believes that something's happening, but he's not going to truly invest or believe in it until he gets a phone call from JJ. And until then, he says it's not real. But he's right. not saying it isn't real. He's just saying in his, he can't act in his life as if it's real until he gets that phone call. But he does believe there's something happening behind the scenes, as it were. Right. He just doesn't know if it's going to come together. I liked that he said, I think it's better for everybody's mental well-being to just trust that a lot's happening. And when the phone rings and JJ says, hey, we're really going to do this, then I'll show up. And he's like, until then, I'm busy. <laughs> right. Which he is. He's actually just this week started a play on the West End, which is his West End debut in London. He's got a new audio drama out. Yeah. At Audible, where I work. Yeah. I've seen a lot of uh, stuff with his face all over it. I'm not sure what else there is to say about this. You know, I mean, we talked about this last week. It's like we're all waiting for that phone call, that phone call from JJ or no phone call from JJ and for Paramount to move on. But uh, someone should make a decision. But I think that's it. You're right. We've speculated about this as much as we possibly can with the tiny little snippets of information that we keep getting, which aren't even information. They're just speculation from people who should know more than we do and barely know more than we do. So let's take. Zachary's advice and (laughs) move on. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) Now I want to talk about your awesome interview with Jonathan Frakes because you did another epic interview full of, I mean, off the record stuff we won't talk about. Lots of fun (laughs) on the record stuff, a huge range of topics. And I just love hearing the two of you talk to each other. I mean, it must have been a fun Way to spend some time, huh? Oh, it's always great. I mean, he he likes to talk. And so often we just talk. And sometimes, yeah, it goes off the record and gets a little gossipy. But uh, I feel like we're teasing people by saying that, you know, he's not. I haven't learned the secrets to, you know, everything from Jonathan Frakes that I'm not going to reveal. Just it's just stuff that doesn't work in in an interview per se. But we did talk on the record about a lot of stuff. I mean, the, the impetus for this is this is Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, and he is an ambassador for the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. This week was a special world forum, which he's involved with, and he wanted to promote that, which is all available at pancan.org. He's got a big family connection to that. You know, read what he had to say in the interview and check out that link for that. It's a very personal cause to him. And also to uh, Armin Shimmerman's wife, Kitty Swink, who's a survivor of pancreatic cancer, and she got him into it. So I think it's worth reading about. You know, it's a hard topic, but I think it's worth reading about. Yeah, and she's a rare survivor, which is kind of the point. So uh, the last time I talked to him, he was just about to start on Strange New Worlds. And so we talked about that, and he was just so excited that they gave him the crossover episode. They thought it was a good fit for him because he had done Lower Decks. And he was funny on it. You know, he said, this is a flat out comedy. Yeah, he also used the the overused phrase, big swing, but he's not the one who's been overusing it. So I forgive him. Like, is that on every email they send back at Strange New World's headquarters? Like, do they greet each other with the phrase, hello, big swing? How you doing, big swing? They have a bunch of bats, baseball <laughs> bats, and they take big swings all day long. Yeah, yeah, it is the thing they talk about. But look, that's the point of this one is that it's a it's a full-on comedy it sounds like he had a really great time doing it and is suggesting that we're all gonna love it 
You didn't get too much into the details. He did bring up something which Jack Quaid has talked about, this this Spoimler thing. So apparently Spock and Boimler, there's something going on with the two of them. I'm not really sure what. But they become a duo in some way. He also confirmed what Anson had said at Comic-Con, which is that we will see an animated Captain Pike. Right. He talked about the episode bookending with animation so i think it starts animated and then the lower decks characters come out of the ship and then it somehow ends animated i guess yep it sounds like a lot of fun he had high praise for anson mount's comedy uh capabilities and for rebecca's i mean anson was pretty funny in that kind of rom-com episode i thought yep i think he's pretty funny and in the silly fantasy episode the costume one yeah. You know, it's funny. I feel bad because I still haven't mastered the episode titles of all the new shows, where it's like you throw some old TNG episode at me and we're all pretty good with those titles. Elysium Kingdom, I think, is the fantasy episode. Yes. The body swamp episode. God, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah I mean, you really need to watch an episode two or three times before it starts sinking in, I think, these episode titles. They also don't put them on the screen. Lower Decks does. Well, of course, because it's Mike McMahon. That's an old tradition I would really like to see come back. And I remember lobbying them for it back when I was working on After Trek and Discovery. I was like, can we get those titles on the screen? Why aren't the titles on the screen? Such a good tradition. There's two things I'd like to see. That and in the credits at the end, I want to see every actor and character name. Yes. Of course, we talked about Star Trek Picard. He's super excited about star trek picard obviously he directed a couple episodes and but he also revealed that he's in all 10 did we know that i don't think we knew that yeah he said like in one he's like barely in it but because he's all over that trailer we've heard terry talk about how he had talked to him about doing a lot of Riker, but i don't think we knew all 10 episodes i feel like that's new and he talked about, he said he has really great stuff with Marina again, which makes me very happy. And that big scenes with Patrick Stewart where they're in conflict, which we've, you know, heard hints of. But he said real conflict. I don't think this is what it's like on the show, but he was kind of mocking like F-bombs. And, um, right. you know, <laughs> it, it, you know, they are at a huge disagreement. Terry's actually telegraphed this. He's talked about Crimson Tide. You know, there's the famous scene in Crimson Tide where Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington are yelling at each other. Gene Hackman wants to launch nuclear weapons and Denzel Washington doesn't, you know, which is kind of a big thing to disagree over. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> so in this case, Denzel is Riker and Picard is is the captain or or the Hackman character. I guess we'll find, you know, the interesting thing, though, is how do you end up liking both of them? Because Denzel was correct and Hackman was wrong in that case. So is can they have that moment but have us come away with it without thinking one of them is totally wrong? Well, I think Picard's going to be wrong. It's Yeah, it's possible. Yep. I mean, someone's got to be wrong. Well, I mean, we look at Prodigy now and... Jane, you know, is Admiral Janeway wrong? She's misinformed, which is why she thinks the prodigy kids are, you know, she's acting on bad information. Right. But she's not screaming in someone's face, especially yeah. someone she's known for decades. So it's it's a very different vibe. Anyway, we'll see. We're just speculating at this point, but we'll have to see how that plays out. It's funny because I haven't seen the whole movie, but I watched that scene 
And now I want to see the whole movie because those are two fantastic actors. I'm a huge Gene Hackman fan, huge Denzel Washington fan. So I think that's going to have to be added to my to watch list. Well, and apparently it's a touchstone for this season of Picard. It's a submarine movie. And Terry's talked a lot about how submarine movies have influenced him. So I was asking because Terry likes to talk about how this season of Picard is a proper send off. He uses those terms for this cast, kind of a better version than Nemesis. And while Frakes agrees that Nemesis was not a good send off, you know, when I asked him, does it does it feel like it kind of wraps up your stories? He he doesn't want to say that because he feels like there's room for more. Yeah, well, he said, and he said they talk about it a lot. He said it feels like it could continue into another story, and it's something that they talk about a lot. Meaning him and Terry. Yes. So, I mean, you know, Terry would do, as he told us, like as many Star Trek shows as they'd let him do. But it does sound like there is just an open door and a lot of possibilities. This was brought up at New York Comic Con on stage, and Frakes kind of sounded like he was surprised how vociferous Patrick Stewart was on that same stage calling out Paramount saying, hey, we want to make a movie. I mean, Frakes is all for it, he said, but uh, he was kind of surprised how Patrick was as well. He seemed admiring and thought it was a big, he seemed to think of just, I mean, you had the conversation, I just listened to it, but he seemed to think it was ballsy and bold of Patrick to look right into the camera and say it to Paramount. We are ready to do a movie. Like he felt like it was a direct message. And he thought that was pretty cool, is the impression I got from listening. Now, looping it back to the Star Trek Four project, that New York Comic Con was like a few weeks after Paramount removed the Star Trek Four from the schedule. So Frakes made a joke saying, you know, I hear you've got an opening in your schedule. But in the interview, he told me he actually did email J.J. Abrams, who, you know, he visited the set on Star Trek. They have a good relationship. And, you know, he's, he said, I'm available. <laughs> it was kind of a joking thing, but because he, he says he doesn't think it's going to happen, like him directing a feature film, but he said he'd love to do it. It's the first thing I said as soon as the director dropped out, I was posting on Twitter. Well, we know who they should call. So his other desire is, I think, a little more realistic. Agreed. He would like to be working more closely on the Terry show as either an executive producer or as a directing producer, which is something that they don't have on Picard, but they do have on Discovery, which is one of the producers is also kind of the main director for the show. It's Toon Day for Discovery. Yeah. He said he'd like to do that for Terry's spinoff show if it's in L.A., which Picard, Picard has shot him. And he wants to get in at the beginning. He wants to be part of the whole putting the ideas together and making a game plan and all of that, which I totally get. He's had so much experience. He's in front of the camera, behind the camera. He's been part of pretty much every Star Trek for a while now, involved in some way, just not prodigy, I guess. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, I totally get why he wants to do it. And I think he's a great choice for the job. Yeah, absolutely. He kind of, you know, him and Tunde. But him more so knows more about directing modern Star Trek than anyone because he's directed for all the shows. He knows all the different styles and he has the legacy of directing for legacy Star Trek. 
Yeah. There's really no one more qualified than he, basically. Yeah, that's what I think, too. And it's interesting, like, you look at how for a while it was hard, you know, certain Star Trek stars back in the day sometimes had trouble getting work, getting acting work after Star Trek and sometimes tried to distance themselves in ways I don't blame anybody for doing. And now I love this embracing it like everybody's basically embracing it every and it's i obviously yes there's money to be made but it's not just that i think they're all just seeing the magic and the value of it in a way that maybe they didn't always see before but we're still waiting for paramount to even say if they're going to do another live action show after picard and if so what it is you know because it very much could be the academy show which we think is going to be 32nd century discovery spinoff, but I mean, that would be fine. But what you'll end up with is you'll have a 23rd century show, which is a live action show uh, with, you know, strange new worlds and 32nd discovery. And then for the 24th century, which I think the bulk of fandom is really 24th century fandom. Right. I agree. Because there were three shows and, you know, TS fans are aging out. So you have all of these legacy stars and sure they could show up here and there on let you know prodigy maybe or lower decks but you have this pool of available legacy stars and nowhere for them to show up in live action really unless you have a 24th or actually it would be 25th century right but uh, unless picard has a spin off there's no live action show for them to go on you know right. for jerry and kate and freaks and all the rest of them and everybody <laughs> yeah yeah you know but are they going to do an academy show and the spinoff of picard in this new kind of budget tightening paramount announced some layoffs this week so they are tightening their belt everybody is i mean it's happening across the board yeah you know netflix everyone disney you know, the, yeah yeah the whole media all the stocks are down this year Paramount's actually not as down as the other ones, but still, it's it's not the let's spend as much money as we possibly can era anymore. That era ended last year, essentially. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, we've we've covered that. I think it's time to talk about a 24th century animated show. A little prodigy, a little crossroads. What did you think of this one? It was a lot of fun. It was funny and had a lot of action, and and it was you know, on a planet, you know, it's good to visit another strange new world. Uh, you know, it wasn't that strange. It was an ice world, essentially. But I enjoyed it very much. We didn't necessarily get Janeway versus Janeway, but, you know, they were in the same vicinity, at least. You know, <laughs> so they're not wasting their time to get the, the two ships have finally confronted each other. And so I'm glad that happened, you know, four episodes in instead of six or seven or eight episodes in you know what i mean yeah no i think they found a great way to move the the larger story the arc forward to really get into why you know we've been saying for so long why can't they just leave them a note or find some other way to warn them about the weapon that's on the ship that's on the protostar and all that stuff and so they tried to cover a whole lot of that and managed to make it I think emotional and character based at the same time, which I really liked. And I also thought it was gorgeous. I mean, I think it was one of the most beautiful episodes that they've done. 
and I loved the cold planet and the snow blowing everywhere and the avalanches and even like the, the hoods on their jackets and the way that they were, the fur was like moving in the wind. So, and, and I kept noticing even things like the sound of their footsteps. I just thought it was a particularly aesthetically pleasing episode. I, I have yet to ever see something with the, the look or the sound of the music on this show and not be happy with it. I think this show is amazing when it comes to the production. You know, there's there's no notes, really. You know, the big thing that happened in this episode, which I guess everyone's going to talk about, though, why don't we just jump ahead, is the metamorphosis finally happened. So what did you think of New Murph when you saw New Murph? I mean, I'm still confused. So it wasn't really a cocoon. It was an egg or something. I don't know what it was, but they kept on saying it was going to hatch. It sounds yes. like an egg. It broke open like it was hatching. <laughs> yeah. And smelled bad, apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think this, yeah, I wasn't, I was surprised. Murph is now a child or childlike. A toddler. It reminded me of a Dr. Seuss character. Didn't it? So I wrote, and I I hated writing this in my notes. I have Murph concerns, is what I wrote. Because I did feel like that I got that Dr. Seuss too cute vibe. I mean, I love Dr. I don't think Dr. Seuss is too cute, just so everybody knows. I love Dr. Seuss. But I almost was worried that it was that he was too cutesy little kitty. I don't know. I do think that this is kind of falling into the Groot growing up kind of thing that we've seen in, in the various Marvel movies. Um, yeah. So this is kind of the precocious, you know, the, we're before the teen years. So this is more toddler or what do you think? You know, kind of like a, a four-year-old. Yeah. I mean, the and the, I guess the thing that concerned me the most was when Murph jumped up and sort of sat on the panel and that fired a torpedo. And I was like, I just, I don't want it to be like, uh-oh, <laughs> Murph did another <laughs> thing. Like, Oopsie. I understand why they needed that to happen for this story. And it was effective. But I yeah. just, I it it's the first time I've been a little nervous about something on Prodigy was this. The last time Murph jumped up on a console and fired something, it helped with the phaser. This time it did not help. Right. I'm curious where they're going. But I think we could now see that I mean, I, I'm assuming this is one step on a continuing evolution of Murph. Yes. And there's going to be a new Murph every 10 episodes, roughly. Until Murph is, you know, in Starfleet Academy, Murph grows a beard, uh, starts working as a barista. Who knows? Oh, I like it. You have a lot of future plans for Murph. <laughs> <laughs> Gets a girlfriend. Uh, you know. Or a boyfriend. Or a boyfriend. Fair so, enough. I thought, yeah, I definitely think it's part of an ongoing shift so we'll we'll see how that goes i'm tr i'm trying to have some faith the big question is will murph ever talk is murph actually a sentient intelligent being that you can actually have a conversation with right well, I, I mean we know that murph can listen and understands and i thought like i loved when before murph hatched when rock had was carrying murph in that little pack and it was just so adorable and cute and like she's giggling as she like stuffs them in there and it's so sweet. And then uh hollow hollow Jane says, When Murph hatches, tell him I expect big things from him. 
which is a very Janeway thing to say. And he makes this little sound. It was just adorable. So we know he's listening. The question is, how much communicating back is there going to be? And I feel like more. There's more coming. I don't know if this is anthropomorphizing too much, but once you've got arms and legs, you're you're kind of a person. Yeah. Because Murph was essentially a pet before. Now Murph is like a little person. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm assuming Murph's going to grow up and is going to start talking. Maybe not soon. It takes babies a while to start talking, but uh, I think Murph's got some stuff to say. <laughs> Murph will have stored up a lot by the time we finally get some talking. But I want to talk a little bit about the whole idea of kids, though, because that it ties into Murph, which is that I felt like there was a great moment when Admiral Janeway is like, they're kids. You didn't tell me they were kids. And I think a lot of them had very kid-like moments, like we saw Jankum as a kid in this one more than we've seen him act like a kid like suddenly he's this little guy and his feelings get hurt and and he's a runt and he doesn't want to be a runt and um Dal was like this nervous kid I you know and I just thought and even Zero when they were worried they were saying like no one would believe us be you know no one's gonna believe what we say anyway like I really felt like they made a good point of reminding us all that they're kids. They've been on these heroic adventures and they weren't so kid-like in the last episode. And this one, they were very much back to, let's remember that these are kids trying to deal with an adult world. I, I really like kind of the second act where you had Janeway's crew split up and each one of them ran into a different member of the Prodigy crew. And you had these adult kid confrontations with maybe Gwyn and Asensia closer to not being adult and kid right? Uh, as much, but more like young adult and teenager or something. But yeah, I mean, the Pog and Dr. Gnome thing was great because, of course, two Tellarites are going to argue. And I guess Pog learned he's not really royalty. Gnome was definitely a jerk, but that's his thing. Yeah, he was a real jerk. But no, and then for Pog a minute later to have someone else go, are you, did you lose your mom or something <laughs> like that? Yeah. So yeah. poor Pog is just... Feeling all the little kid feels for the first time. But I did love the doll Janeway thing because he hears the voice, that distinctive Mulgrew voice, you know, and he goes, Captain Janeway. And she says, I prefer Vice Admiral Janeway. And he was so flustered because Hollow Janeway said, you know, find if you get in trouble, find my the real me. And there she was. And he really, really wants to be in Starfleet. And he was trying to get that out. And then. Uh, Frex showed up and he had to run away. I loved the conversation they had right before that happened where he finally, and the way he's like twitching and he's, he's playing with his little dongly thing that sticks out of his head and he's all nervous. And he says, have you ever wanted something so bad, but you're afraid if you say the wrong thing, you'd mess it up. And she, her response is so perfect. She says often, but fear of failure has killed more dreams than anything else. So I usually go for it. And at that moment, she's everything that he's, hoped she would be everything i hope there's more for those two yeah i really i really hope so and i also think kate mulgrew is doing an amazing job of playing two very different janeways it was very funny though right after that when real janeways crews having that conversation with frex and frex says you know these people you know destroyed the thing and Dal's like yelling from the sidelines. You know, what what did he say? Something like he said, Maybe they had good intentions. He said it like it was like Pee Wee Herman 
yeah. in Huey's Big Adventure when he's like, I say let him go. Like it was the same kind of moment and it made me laugh. There was a lot of good laughs in this and not just Jankum, who usually does. Well, the Kona character, we haven't even talked about Kona. He's very funny. So Billy Campbell came back as the outrageous Kona, and he's still a, a lovable rogue. I, you don't really need to know the episode because it's such a trope or cliche, the kind of, you know, lovable rogue character the, the, that um, I think kids will, will get who he is right away. Yeah. And it, look, it's not a good episode, the one that he was in, except that he was insanely handsome in it. But... <laughs> It's like really, really cute, but it's not a great episode. You don't need it at all. You don't need his backstory. He will admit that he 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 uh, the actor Billy Campbell has said he he sees Prodigy as a kind of do over for him to sort of give the character a second chance. Yeah, he said he wasn't happy with his performance, and he was fun in this episode. You know, he's still a smuggler. I'm super curious to see what's going to, how long he's going to stay with them and how it's going to shift the dynamic on the ship. Because he's still on the ship at the end. So obviously he has some kind of arc, maybe two or three episodes, maybe more. Who knows? Yeah. I don't think he's like joining the crew, but he's on the Protostar. So he left his slow ship. Pog was not impressed with his Warp 4 ship, <laughs> um, which, you know, he flies around in Warp 9.97 ships. So why would you be impressed? But he scoffs um, at your Warp 4. No, but he was funny, like when at the end, when the real Janeway was after them and he's like, you guys are in more trouble than I am, you know? So, he, you know, it was he was good. I thought Billy was good in this. Yeah, I think so, too. And he did save them. Oh, right. Because he found the super fuel and the the little flyer thing and it was his idea to go to the romulan neutral zone yep and remodulate the shields yeah so they're learning how to be outlaws <laughs> exactly. which is important because they did steal a ship yes you know? i know and now they're outlaws more than even more than they were before like they tried and now they're now they're running really running from starfleet i mean that for me i just thought I thought if last week's episode was really about like, what is Starfleet? Then I thought this week was so much about how it's perceived, if that makes sense. Like every time one of the kids saw a badge and they did a lot of badge close-ups. Yeah. It was a significant moment. Like it was almost an anchor point each time. So Jankum sees it on Noam and Barnas Frex is ignoring his. And the Klingon sees the one that Essencia has. And that gets him to back off. You know, Gwent, everybody who sees it, it, it means they have a reaction to it. So I thought it was an interesting follow-up to last week. And now Gwen is going to have a whole different feeling about Starfleet because they're basically working with her dad, she thinks, with the Diviner. Yeah, I mean, this gets to the how long can they keep this kind of misunderstanding thing going, though? Because we've said Janeway's, real Janeway's smart. Her saying... You never told me they were kids, I think, is the first step towards her figuring out maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe these aren't, you know, ruthless outlaws who are responsible for Chakotay. She she definitely wants to get to the protostar, which is reasonable. But she I think, she, you know, her encounter with Dal and seeing that they're kids is her first step towards maybe realizing that she doesn't have the whole story here. I agree. And. The two key scenes, she's aware that Frex is an unreliable narrator. And, bef and they, you know, already she was like some Starfleet officer, even before she met up with him. So she already doesn't trust him. 
Yeah. And then she had that meeting with Dal. And so they had this moment, which she will remember and she'll think about. So I thought they did a really nice job of planting that seed at the same time that, wow, they're outlaws and they've run away. And she is looking while the ship just comes out of the snow and goes over her head. That was a great scene. Yeah. We've seen some stuff like that before, but it was, you know, just very grand. The music was great. Yes. Of course, the ship hiding under ice reminded me a little of Timeless. Same. I think the other moment that will contribute to all of that was Essencia and Gwyn, because Essencia will remember, she said, you know, your father's looking for you. And Gwyn's reaction was to run away. So at some point, she's going to unpack that. Because Essencia knew that because this is the moment the Diviner remembered Gwyn's name, like shortly before that. So he's slowly getting his act together piece by piece. He recognized the protostar too. He saw the protostar and he said, protostar, daughter. So he's putting the pieces together. Right. So here's a question for you, because at the very beginning of the episode, he's all like, you know, I want to help you. I wish I could help you. And he's judging, you know, he just sounds like a normal guy who's mad at himself. So do you think he is going to, I know you like to predict, so that's why I'm asking you and I wouldn't ask myself this. Do you think he's going to get his full memory back and then be hiding things from them? Or do you think he's almost going to become this other person who doesn't remember his goals and is going to be nice to them? Well, I don't think it's an either or. I think he, I think both are going to happen. I think he's going, he's going to continue trying to be helpful and is going to learn more. But then eventually there's going to be a turn of some sort and he's going to have to change tactics. So I think both. Cause it's so funny to hear him say, I wish that he wishes he could repay their kindness <laughs> in his little, yeah. in his white tight PJs that he's walking around in. Yes. You know, when he hates Starfleet more than anything. Yes. They disgust him seeing his daughter with the badge. It was just so horrible for him. And now he's like, I wish I could help you more. It just occurred to me that this is this is an Aaron question. I mean, Dr. Dome obviously didn't recognize who he was, must have run some scans. Can't Starfleet technology detect a time traveler, someone who has the wrong temporal signature? Why don't they know he's a time traveler? Wouldn't they have to be looking for that? Well, I that's, I, yeah, I mean, but I've, a good doctor, like, you know, he ran scans. So yeah, maybe, maybe not. It would be inconven- possibly inconvenient for them. But I'm, I have a feeling they're going to, that may be coming, that they figure out he's a time traveler, you know, which will factor into their figuring out who he is. Yeah. But I don't know that it's something that would come up in normal medical scans. Obviously not. Yeah. Well, you know, they do when it's convenient and they do when it's convenient. Yes. Just part of Star Trek's DNA from the very beginning. Yeah. The technology sometimes works. Sometimes it doesn't work. Right. It's like the transporter. It's so convenient when it breaks. Would you say that this other episodes have been focused on any single character? I'm not sure there really is a you could say this is maybe it's a Dal episode kind of. But not really. It's not really about one of the characters, do you think? No, it's not. I think it's about all of them. I mean, I think Zero did the least Yeah. in the whole thing. But I think everybody had a moment. And what I really liked was that, you know, the youngest one, which is Rock, she was the one going, you guys all met Starfleet and none of you told them <laughs> yeah, the thing that, that we great. came here for. So they were wonderful character moments 
for everybody, that were so much about who they are and their hopes and dreams. It was a very sad moment when Rock was alone and Tysis walks by her and she's trying to get a ride and she's basically saying, don't judge me because I'm big. It was very sad. But yeah, she was quite savvy later. And that you got the thing you've wanted where she's kind of trying out new scientists. Yep. Yep. Meteorologist. (laughs) She's even got the weatherman pattern down to say it's not an exact science. (laughs) I know. I thought that was great. I was like, like every, I mean, it isn't right. So, (laughs) you know, it's kind of like McCoy said, they're still working on the common cold. I guess they're still working on weather in the, you know, 24th century. They can only predict so much. Um, I did think it was interesting that when Barnes Barnes was describing the species of the of all of them, that he didn't mention what happened when Dal walked through his scanner to Janeway. Oh, that's a very good point. Like he mentioned the dangly dongly thing, which is what made her realize that's who it was. But he didn't say, and then all the screens went crazy. I guess they want to deal with that later. And he obviously is somewhat incompetent, which is why he was assigned to this outpost to begin with. By himself. Did you think the guy he was talking, so he was telling a story to a Kazon, another cut. Was that the same Kazon who was selling kids to the Diviner? Oh, who sold the kitty? Was it a Kazon who sold the kitty? Yep. Oh, I don't know. I didn't go back and look. I think it might be. Because they must be pretty far from... K, you know, normal Kazon space. Right. Um, in fact, they definitely are because they're in the beta quadrant, but even to start with. So, I mean, we're getting a lot of connections now. I mean, we're now getting much closer. So there was Kazon, there was a Klingon, Gwyn spoke Klingon, which we knew she learned in, in this series opener. Zindi. Yep. People were so excited when we put up the preview that there was a picture of Zindi, all of whom have the exciting names of security officer one, security officer two, (laughs) security officer showing how important these characters were. But everyone was like, Zindi, Zindi, Zindi. Um, I guess it is the first time we've seen reptilians in the 24th century. I think people are excited because it's enterprise. In this episode, you got a Denobulan and Zindi. It's kind of a big moment for the enterprise, but they're getting, you know, there's mentions of Orion's, you know, obviously this station, Janeway just had to tell the station, you know, I'm, you know, to close down security. I'm not sure the Federation, they're in Federation space, but she obviously had authority. Yeah, they did it instantly. Yeah, we're getting close to the, if not in the Federation, we're getting close. And in fact, I think the episode ended in Federation space because they were right on the neutral zone. Obviously, if you're in the neutral zone, you're, that's between Federation space and Romulan space. Right. So they've kind of made it to the federation yes well they've made it because they came face to face i mean they bumped right literally some of them bumped right into them yeah which and this gets to one of my nitpicks which is so they go into romulan space right the kids do and janeway is real janeway is going to do it herself and it was interesting tysis said no i'm not going to do it yeah. So that was kind of a big deal. It reminded me of conversations she used to have with Chakotay, because sometimes Chakotay would say, you're not making this decision from the right place. But Chakotay, did he ever defy an order? Because Tysa said he's not going to do it, period. I think Chakotay waited till she was incapacitated to defy her orders. Chakotay would argue with her. Right. But would follow the order. 
you know, Tysus was saying, mentioned something about treaty negotiations. He says it'll breach the treaty. And she says, we don't want the Romulans getting the protostar. And then that's right. when he says, he starts talking about emotions and said, you told me to listen to them and not be guided by them. And now you're being guided by them. And I can't do what you want me to do. Right. So I think based on something we talked about last week, I mean, I think Tysus is going to call her boss. Yes, I think so, too. And and say, Jellico, we need you to do your thing, which is be a jerk and tell her and shut her down because right. she's out of control. So I think, yeah, we're heading towards Rogue Janeway. But here's the thing that bugged me about that scene. So everything was fine. They're on one side of the neutral zone. Don't go into the neutral zone. We all heard about the neutral zone. But then they get a call from the Romulans. Fine. The Romulans saying, don't come into the neutral zone. But then the Romulans are like right there. And it's like, well, it basically presented it as if the neutral zone was like 10 feet wide. It's like the neutral zone is huge. Right. So either they, the Romulans came through the neutral zone to tell Janeway to not go into the neutral zone, or the neutral zone is basically like a fence. But it can't be a fence because it's a neutral, I mean, as my favorite line in the whole episode <laughs> that actually made me guffaw while I was watching. When Jacob says, what's the big deal? It's neutral. It says it right there in the name, which I mean, that was the loudest laugh I think I've made from Prodigy. But they weren't in Romulan space because they were in the neutral zone. So they were already there. You're right. They were already there. I have a feeling, though, that because the way it's written, you know, they could have called them from one side of the neutral zone to the other and say, don't yes. cross the neutral zone. Um, they just shouldn't have shown the ships right next to the Janeway ship. I agree. I think they probably just wanted to see those ships. but Because it was cool, right? Yeah. No, when the ship, I mean, I'm not even so shippy. And I was like, ships look good. So <laughs> I thought that was cool. But you're right. It. It doesn't make sense because Janeway should say, well, what are you doing here? Right. The whole point, Tysus is refusing the order. The Romulans are saying, if you go into the neutral zone, it'll start a war. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on and on about a little thing. So I'm sure our loyal listener, Aaron Watke, <laughs> will respond to this podcast and he will have all sorts of explanations about why it makes total sense. And I'm an idiot. I look forward to that. But until then... They made it look like the neutral zone was basically 10 feet wide. Right. And that there was like a line drawn in the sand and they were on each side of it. Right. But otherwise, I really liked this episode. I like just I like the action and the humor. You just it feels like things are ramping up. Last week's episode was fun. But this is, you know, they're having an adventure and they're explaining things and we're learning stuff. And we're getting to know Admiral Janeway's crew. Finally, she was barely in it. Last week, it's nice to start getting a better sense of her. I feel like Admiral Janeway is different than Captain Janeway. Very, yeah, yep. You know, each one of them has, you know, you you start getting a sense, as you're saying, of their personalities. And and even Gnome, who's a jerk, but he's a funnier jerk, at least in this episode. He is, but I got to say, it is a weird, I keep thinking, why is he in Starfleet? I'm waiting to see. I do have faith that I'm going to find out. But right now, he seems it seems like a weird choice for him because he's very Tellarite. <laughs> yeah. It's a cultural thing. You know, yes. you're, you're being culturally insensitive. Well, it's not a great <laughs> fit for Starfleet. But they are a founding member. They are royalty, according to Jankum. Well, so. the Federation, not of Starfleet. There's a difference. Yes. And that is often glossed over. So I, yes. I, I agree. Is there anything else to cover in this episode? I very much liked it. 
and it's kind of a cliffhanger, but it's it doesn't bug me at all. It, it doesn't feel like a part one of a two parter. Right. But, you know, it, they did, you know, end on a kind of a big cliffhanger, I guess. I don't I wouldn't call it a cliffhanger. It's just serialized. Yeah. And I, I really what I am really admiring about them, too, is they've built into the DNA of the show a way to do exposition that feels organic. And so every time they need to tell the audience what's the neutral zone and what's this and what's that, they do it in the most natural way. And it's such a nice reminder. It's like nice for all of us who've been watching the show for our whole lives to hear about these things and imagine kids learning about them for the first time. They've been doing such a great job of that. They did that with the Borg. And, you know, we we take these things for granted. For other things that we're noticing, they don't even bother. So the Zindi are just there. No one, you know, says, oh, there were these things called the sphere building. Right. You know, they just, you know, <laughs> just like they're just aliens and they're kind of mean looking and they fit the role perfectly. Although I'm like, haven't they picked a f- different outfit after two centuries? I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's fun to see those things and they don't bother with the explanation because you don't need it. But you do. Yeah. For the neutral zone. It's clearly a very important plot point, and they handle that well. I mean, the show doesn't do a previously on because they don't want to waste that time. But I feel like you never really feel because there's so many shows I've watched where you really need that previously on. But this show survives well without it, I think. Yeah. And they also I don't know how they do it, but they manage to pack so much action in and then still have character moments, which is hard to do in less than 30 minutes it's really like 22 minutes or something if you really have how much actual show you're getting oh and there's one other thing i wanted to mention that i thought was interesting which was back to our friend barnas frex who complained to janeway that the kids were wearing starfleet uniforms i thought that was such a good moment because he's complaining that they dared to wear the uniforms he's wearing the uniform legitimately but is clearly a terrible officer And so, again, I think we're still exploring that idea of what is Starfleet, what does it represent, and what does it mean to different people? I guess when they replicated their jackets, their winter jackets, they made sure that those were generic and not... Like the long coats. Did you see the long coats? Yeah. Because there must be a standard winter things. Well, I guess that's what Janeway's crew was wearing. Yep. We've seen Starfleet weather gear on other shows and they obviously had to replicate something to leave the ship. And it was a smart move for them to not replicate Starfleet gear. Yes. Uh, But did they bring their uniforms with them? It really didn't have a lot of stuff with them when they left the ship. Like where, where was all this deuterium that they were going to (laughs) give? That seemed like a really bad way, you know, to negotiate because that's, they should have negotiated with dilithium, right? easier to carry they didn't end up really negotiating anyway i mean it's the tricky part is that all of that stuff of course had a bit of a star wars vibe because it's hard to avoid when you're doing that like you're thinking oh they're in a land speeder oh you know there were all these very star warsy moments and i thought that even that whole place was definitely had a star warsy vibe oh yeah they called it a haven for smugglers yeah but it was a hive of scum and villainy yeah (laughs) for sure Yeah, but there there was no band playing. That would have been a bit too much. Well, they're Um, too young to go into a bar. That's true. Yeah. 
So I think we're just ready for the next one. Episode five of the second half of the first season. Yep. Also known as episode 15 next week. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take bets. Does Murph say anything next week? No. No, I think so not. I think not. Do you think he'll have weird talk like he already I guess he'll keep talking the way he already does with his little squeaky sounds. What's the thing on his head? What's going on up there? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Is it floating above? That's what really made him Seuss-like. I want to take a closer look. So are we done with our review? Yes, I think we're we done. are. Let's wrap up with our bits of the week. I'm happy to start with mine, which is an event that's coming up on Wednesday, December 7th at noon Eastern. And it is a webinar with the composer of Star Trek Prodigy with Nami Malamud. And it's being moderated by Amy Imhoff. It's a discussion about the music. You know, she's Star Trek's first female composer. It's not free, but it's pay what you can. It's being run by an organization called Explore Mars, which is a nonprofit that advocates for human exploration of Mars by the 2030s, which is very interesting. And I think it'll be a really great conversation. I love that she's doing the music. I'm really happy. You know, she's it's all she also does Strange New Worlds music. So I think we'll get some good insight into her creative process, I assume. And hopefully, you know, she'll tell us how the whole I'd love to just sort of hear about how it works, what goes through her head when she's looking at it and trying to figure out how to score it and all that stuff. She's been doing such a great job. I really yeah. love the music on the show. And I was a huge fan of Chiquino's. She's a Chiquino protege. The influence is obviously there. By the way, Chiquino's should be on the short list for directors for the next Star Trek movie. He, he just directed this uh, Marvel thing. He's directed uh, the Star Trek short. He'd be an interesting choice. Side yeah. total tangent there. Sidebar. <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm gonna do some some Shatner links for you because you are you know last week you had your your problems with all the Shatner stuff. So it's, uh, we have good Shatner stuff this week. I'm wearing a Captain Kirk T-shirt right now. I just want you to know. <laughs> so he is. I mean, just to show you how crazy he is. He's he's going back on tour in 2023 with his. William Shatner live Star Trek two um, <laughs> tour. He's just announced a bunch of new dates for 2023. He will be 92 years old, but he's still doing it. He just did this interview where he talked about how he, you know, still likes doing the conventions. I mean, he doesn't need to do it. He likes it. He gets something out of it. He says he learns from the fans and, you know, you just, you can't, you can't stop the Shatner. By the way, that stuff, is if you just go to, WilliamShatnerTour.com and you'll get all the latest dates. And and just another just weird, very weird thing. He was on the Howard Stern show this week and he did a cover of a Rob Zombie song. And then Rob Zombie like went on Instagram saying how excited he was that William Shatner covered one of his songs. So that's just, there's nothing stopping the Shatner. No, there never will be. <laughs> But there is something stopping us, but we'll see you next week. Yep, next week will just be a review because it's Thanksgiving and we're very busy. So, But we'll see you next week with our review of the next episode of Star Trek Prodigy. And until then, please come to the site, post comments, post reviews, tell us what you think. Goodbye.